Welcome to Startup Cornell, a podcast exploring the bold entrepreneurial ideas coming from our students, faculty, staff, and young alumni. I'm Kathy Havis, your host, and today we're going to talk with Aziza Glass, owner of Personal Touch Veterinary Clinic and a star on the Disney XD and Hulu show, Roman to the Rescue. We're excited to hear the story of how she balances her private veterinary practice with her work on the show, what's next for her, what inspires her about working with animals and with their people. To find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. And remember to rate and review our podcast by scrolling to the bottom of the episode. That way, even more young entrepreneurs can find the podcast and be inspired to follow their dreams. So welcome to Aziza. We're so glad you're here. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. That's great. I think that having a veterinary practice of your own is like having a startup in almost every way. So I'd love to like, yeah, I'd love to for you to tell us a little bit more about how you developed your practice, your ideas for combining traditional and holistic medicine, and how you set it up to be mobile and what decisions went into all of those things. I will start out by saying that it was definitely a leap of faith in order to start doing my own thing. But it was also a thing of necessity and I guess you could say survival. When it came to my career in veterinary medicine, the first, I guess you could say, employment that I had was very tumultuous. I definitely learned a whole lot, but I did not have a lot of support when it came to the things that were outside of the scope of the medicine. And, you know, you get to the point where it got so bad. I was so stressed. I did not enjoy going to work to the point where I was grinding my teeth so hard that I was having headaches. I had to get a mouth guard. You know, it was just, it was horrible. (laughs) Wow. That does sound horrible. Yeah. I ended up just having the process where a mentor was just being very frank with me. And I asked him, am I going through this because of who I am or because of who I am? And he was like, it's because of who you are. And in order for you to be able to have a different experience, you're going to have to create your own space and create your own lane. And that's what I ended up having to do. Being able to do entertainment, be in the entertainment space, like you were saying with Roman to the Rescue and just being a news contributor, you know, I was getting a whole bunch of pushback on just that uh, when I was still a young practicing vet in Texas. So being able to create my own space and create my own lane allowed me to not only still practice veterinary medicine, but also do other things that I enjoy, like veterinary acupuncture, like being able to be in the entertainment slash media sphere and continue to just kind of create my own career. And that's how I got to the point where I started Personal Touch Veterinary Clinic. I decided to go that route because even though it's a leap of faith, to me, it was a stepping stone because I wasn't opening a full-on clinic like where it was like a complete full services. And I was able to create my own schedule, really curate my own clients, really rely on word of mouth And it was a way for me to have a kind of like a, I guess you can say a controlled leap of faith. It worked for me. And having the mobile side, having that flexibility, it just really allowed me to stretch my wings as, uh, further stretch my wings as an entrepreneur, as a practice owner, learning a lot of the different 
politics, being able to see how a lot of different practices were run, being able to really see the other side of clients that you don't necessarily see when they come to a vet clinic because you're in their home space and be able to have conversations with them and things like that. And it's been, it's definitely been rewarding. And I am now going to the next phase of my plan, which is I'm actually downsizing a personal touch veterinary clinic and I'm opening a brand new practice and it is a brick and mortar. It will still have a mobile component, but that is actually opening later this year. And so I'm extremely, extremely excited about it. Oh, that's great. So is that in the same hometown you're in now or is that in a different location? Yes, it is still in Houston, Texas. And I'm just really excited because I'm going to be able to offer services that people have been asking me about for a long time, especially with the premier Roman to the Rescue. I've gotten so many requests from people who want me to see their dogs, their cats. Right. Now, even some some rodeo animals like bulls that are used for bull riding and things like that. And I'm excited because now I'll have the infrastructure and the support to be able to answer the call for all of these. Wow, that's great. So I was going to ask you if you specialized in small animals or I know there's some photos of you with horses and now you're talking about bulls. So do you have a specialty or you kind of work with all kinds of animals? Well, I don't have a particular specialty when it comes to animals themselves. I mainly do dogs and cats, sometimes horses, rarely cattle or other farm animals. But I will say that my specialty would be the integrative medicine component of being a certified veterinary acupuncturist, understanding what the alternative medicine can do and how it can enhance our treatment protocols and how it can enhance the quality of life for not only the pets who are my patients, but also the clients who are the pet parents. A lot of people think that with being a veterinarian, it is only dealing with animals. And that's not necessarily so because these pets are extensions of the family. They are family members. And so when they are stressed, when they're not doing well, sometimes it can really wear down and tear down the life of the pet parent. Um, If you have something where, especially if they seem like they've just been on this merry-go-round of treatments and doctor visits and still no answers. I mean, they're just so stressed. And then the right, you know, just a little out of the box approach can be the answer. And then, you know, it seems like the whole family is impacted now that the pet is actually responding to treatment and and getting better. Um, No, that's true in my family too. So did you grow up just surrounded by animals? Where do you think it came from that you decided you wanted to be? I know I read a story said that it really came to you when you were in college and you were studying various things, including animal science. But did you always have animals around when you were growing up too? You know, the ironic thing is no. I didn't have any pets until I would say my senior year in high school. And even then they were fish and a small red ear painted turtle that I swiped from the golf course. And I added it to the fish tank to make it a little, the fish tank a little bit more interesting because I thought they were so boring. But because I really, really wanted a dog and my parents were like, no. But I actually believe that it's just genetic. I mean, there has been some studies that have shown that there are certain genes that point to people actually being dog folks or being our dog prone people or cat prone people. And so I just think it was genetic because I really enjoyed learning about animals and just watching nature documentaries, watching 
stuff on PBS, the Kratz brothers, Jack Hanna, you know, the crocodile hunter, like all these different folks that were teaching animals on TV. I was looking at it. And that was actually one of the things that my dad and I bonded over. It was like every Sunday night, we would watch the new episode that came on Nature on PBS. If I had already seen an episode or, and I already knew about a particular animal, I will get frustrated because I wasn't learning anything new. And so that just continued to grow and develop. My dad nurtured it by giving me books, different fun activities to do where I would continue to learn about not only animals, but also science. And it just continued to grow. And the crazy thing is because I didn't have any pets, I had never met a veterinarian. Meeting a Black veterinarian is already a rare occurrence. You know, less than 3% of veterinarians in the country are Black. So if you don't have a reason to go and see a veterinarian, it's going to be just that much of a rarity that you would just accidentally come across one. So even though I knew what a veterinarian was, I just never thought of the possibility of me becoming one until I got to college. So, but my dad is an animal person. Uh, and then I found out, we reconnected with my dad's sister out in Florida. Um, I found out that she was the neighborhood animal person. Her daughter was the neighborhood animal person that would rescue and rehabilitate animals. And then her granddaughter was as well. Right. Interesting. I would like to take that test to find out whether I'm a dog or a cat person. I think I know, but that's funny. Very cool. So I know while you were in vet school that you and other Cornell vet school students were featured in this Nat Geo show. It seems like you had experiences before that on stage and in front of people. So it wasn't like a scary thing to you if I'm reading things correctly. But it seemed like that might have, you know, really opened up this thought that, wow, I'm pretty talented at this, and maybe I could share my experiences in another way. Could you talk a bit about how that kind of involvement in entertainment started and then how that shaped where you went from there? Yeah, so I would say that my interest in the arts and being on a stage started when I was very young as well. My sisters and I sang together and we would perform gospel music at our church and things like that. And I just I've always had a love for the performing arts. And then I eventually went to a middle school where you could focus on performing arts. And then I went to the high school for performing and visual arts in Houston, who's won uh, multiple Grammys for their music program. There are a lot of amazing, talented people who are on Broadway now, who have who are on TV and movies, you know, all kinds of stuff that have come from the school. And so me having that performance background and being on stage was essentially my foundation. And when the opportunity for the show came around, one, I was surprised I was selected because I fancied myself kind of trying to stay in the background, you know, and just kind of like, <laughs> you know, just do your work because vet school is hard. So do your work and go all the way to the finish line. <laughs> I did so many extracurricular activities and I was a part of so many clubs when I was an undergrad at Prairie View A&M University. But I chose not to do a lot of that when I was at Cornell because I was like, I just want to focus on vet school. And so, you know, God had other plans, you know, just because you are doing something and you feel like you are a wallflower doesn't mean that other people have their eyes on you. And that was the case. So when I did the program and when I saw the cameras, the big TV cameras, oh, and I, I should also say I had 
been exposed to TV cameras before because my dad did TV work and and things like that. He had been a part of that, uh, my dad and my sister. I was familiar with seeing the, the equipment. I wasn't dazzled by it and things like that. And so when it was time for, you know, press record, the camera lens became the audience that I was used to when you're on stage. Because a lot of times on stage, you don't even see the audience. I was just speaking to an audience that was through the lens that would eventually see it on the back end. It didn't really dawn on me until I started getting the feedback from parents of their children. They were sending me pictures of their children watching the show that this is a full circle moment. Now I'm doing the exact same thing that I was relying on in order to learn about animals and learn about science. And hearing that I had a gift for it and that I was talented caused me to say, you know what, I think I should continue to explore this space. And that's what I've been doing for the last, what, seven years. Right. That's great. And so after that experience, instead of just like, well, I'm just going to start my practice and go that route, you decided, well, I am good at this and I'm inspiring perhaps this whole generation of young kids maybe young kids of color to do this. How did you think, well, I'm just going to try to like continue creating content and seeking an audience? That also seems like incredibly entrepreneurial. How did you manage to accomplish that? Oh, yeah. So I had a meeting with someone who I think at the time was, she was a producer for National Geographic. It happened to be another young Black woman. And I told her that this is what I was kind of thinking about doing. And that's the advice that she gave me. She was like, listen, even if you don't to get another opportunity, create the content for yourself. And I had to think of it as investing in myself. So I had to put my own money toward it. And I produced uh, several different videos that my sister, who is once again in the TV and movie space, in the entertainment space out in LA, and her husband helped me to create. And then, you know, I had to take the same type of mindset that I've used in sports that I've used even in applying for vet school, you know, ask and send out the different requests that you would like. And then the worst that somebody can say is no. So I just started to look up the different news contributors, the different journalists, anchormen, anchorwomen. In Houston, I just started to send out stuff and say, hey, I know that y'all need content. I can provide it, make it a little easier for you. All I have to do is up and talk about animals. <laughs> People love to hear about that. Not only creating the content that would later be on my YouTube, that would later serve as almost like a visual resume for myself, also create the opportunities with local news networks, which I think later helped to hone my skills and provided even more chances for people who are the executive producers, who are casting directors for shows like Roman to the Rescue, to see me in a lot of different things, a lot of different settings and environments, still on camera, and say, oh, wow, she really has this breath, this range that we think that she might be a good fit. Let's reach out and give her a shot. And that's what happened. That's awesome. So the producers of Roman to the Rescue came to you and said, here's this idea we have, or was it already kind of an idea formed or were they just working on what the show would be all about? And talk a little bit about what excites you about doing that show all the time. Well, when they reached out to me, it was pretty well-formed idea. I think that they had a clear vision of 
what message they wanted to convey. Uh, Roman definitely had a clear vision of what his purpose was, the message that he wanted to put out with the show. It was really a thing of whether or not I felt like I would be able to not only support him, but also be able to play a key role in bringing that vision to life. And it has been, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I think that since I made it very clear that I wanted to see myself in this type of career long-term, I let him know that I was definitely interested in learning about the behind the camera as well as the people who are in front of the camera. And so to be a part of the brainstorming process, seeing how the crew works with each other, what the different roles are like, what makes a good crew, how a crew or a setting, an environment can be improved on, knowing that there are these magical people that are not even on set that are looking at what you just filmed and sending back notes and that you have to reshoot this and that and and why is it the case you know the whole idea of a storyline and how you have to have the story arc how do you tie up each thing how to have continuity in an episode like all those different things it made it such a enjoyable process and I just learned so much the people that were there were, they're just awesome individuals. And I think that everybody was also just very thankful to be able to have a project like this to work on in the midst of a pandemic too, because a lot of them hadn't even been working for a while. So it was just, it was very, very nice. And we weren't able to do probably have this type of experience that a crew normally would because you really had to maintain COVID protocols and things like that. But it was definitely an enjoyable experience. And then, of course, Roman. <laughs> Roman and his mom and just being so impressed with them and their dedication to rescues and to and being advocates of shelters. And it was very cool to, to see and to meet them and to work with them. The animals are so adorable. Every week, I would just think that it would be hard to not like go home with, you know, another animal. Yeah, I almost caved. I almost caved one time. I mean, and every crew member that was there had their own favorite. And so there were some that were like, oh my gosh, I wish I could keep this dog because I just think they're so awesome. So we definitely, each of us had our own favorites. That's for sure. <laughs> And how does that process work? Do you go and shoot all the episodes at one big chunk of time or did you go several different times? I think in general, it probably just depends on the project. So for this particular project, we did it in two, no, I guess maybe technically three chunks because we had breaks to be able to go with our families for the holidays and things like that. But well, you really can't do the back and forth a whole lot, once again, because of COVID protocols. But we did large chunks of time. I was very, very thankful that my son was able to be with me for the vast uh, majority of that time. So it was it was great. And you probably also learned about just the whole process of television in terms of how you pitch a show and how you continue to work through the process of being renewed or however that works, how all those things work too, which I think would be helpful for you depending on what you end up doing in the future. Yes, absolutely. There's so much that goes with creating a television show. And I think that for all the stuff that you see that has to be done, what you see is just a small portion of it. And 
it was very rewarding to see the final product, to see every episode, because we know the magic. I know the magic that was put into it, which was very different from my experience with vet school while I was a student, because I, I was literally just showing up, saying what I needed to say, being followed. And then that was that. I really wasn't involved with the as much with the back end of things. And because vet school was composed of many students, then uh, versus Roman and myself being the only recurring talent, it's comparing apples to oranges. It's a completely, completely different experience. So for the future, you're going forward, you have this exciting brick and mortar clinic opening up. Are you also trying to balance another future project related to entertainment? Maybe that's a secret or, you know, like, how do you think your career will balance out going forward? I think that it will continue to balance out in a way that is organic and will continue to just support, like the left hand will support the right, because that's what's been happening so far. The good thing is that I have a partner coming into this who is extremely, extremely supportive of what I'm doing. In fact, you know, he is encouraging me to continue to explore this side of my career. I do have projects that I'm pitching, projects that I am trying to find the right team and things like that. So who knows what will happen in the future? I definitely have always said that I want to be able to have projects that say created by Dr. Ziza Glass, produced by Dr. Ziza Glass, you know, things like that. Even if I am not the talent on the show, I would like to be able to be play a key role in getting very good stories, especially stories that are animal-focused, science-focused, STEAM-focused, and that can also show a lot of people of color in these spaces. That's what this next generation needs. They need to be able to see folks in these different spaces to make it just that much easier for them to see it for themselves or to encourage them that they can actually do it and also demystify what a person looks like who is an astrophysicist or you know a rocket scientist or veterinarian whatever the case may be that's what i would like to do and i do think that me being a veterinarian being a business owner in that sense is going to make me a stronger person and a creative voice in the entertainment side. And I think also in the entertainment side is going to, by me further developing over there, is going to further enhance my effectiveness as a veterinarian. That's just leads perfectly into my next question, which I think you kind of answered, which was, do you have a personal mission statement that you think about when you think about your life and your career? And it sounds like you kind of just answered that, but is there anything else about your mission that you feel is important? I honestly believe that God has put several things on my heart, a lot of different ideas on my heart. And it's not just by chance. It's because there are certain things, whether it's because of my perspective or because maybe I can help make the right connection or put other people together in order to make these different ideas and aspirations become reality. And Personal Touch Veterinary Clinic was not my first business. My first business, I actually started right out of vet school and that is naturally Nayanka. That was also started out of necessity where I started making 
hair products and now I've expanded and now I'm making hair and body products and I have apparel and things like that. But I think that whether it's that, whether it is my new clinic, whether it is new shows, new TV shows, whether it is my nonprofit that I started that I haven't really put a whole lot of attention to, which I need to start. Uh, I just had so much on my plate or anything else, any other type of entrepreneurial spirit. I just think that anything that God has put on my heart, it, it really is my job to see it through, even if I chip at it just a little bit at a time. But there's a reason why it's there. And it's just my job not to squander it and to just do the best that I can. Wow. And along with all those things, you're a mom, which can yes. take a good chunk of time as well. So that makes me think like to segue a little bit into like how you manage your schedule. I always ask people on this podcast, like if there are any tools or any habits they have that really help them in their business, either digital or physical things that they use that they rely on. And with your like number of things going on, I wonder like how do you keep yourself focused on all the different things that are yes. going around? So one of the things that helps me a whole lot is my calendar. So I have a calendar that is on my phone. And for me, it was repetition. So I would have a physical planner. And I actually started that habit when I was in high school. My high school had this, um, I think, what was the name of it? I think it was called Time Tracker. So I don't know if that was a Texas thing, a Houston thing, or what, the Time Tracker. And I used that planner and I used it so much that my dad and my sisters would use it so much that my dad would go to the school, even after we graduated, would go to the school, buy the planner for us and then mail it to us. <laughs> also being able to have someone that is a little familiar with your schedule. So they're like, oh, aren't you supposed to be doing this? I set alerts for myself for certain meetings so that I, and sometimes two alerts, especially if I feel like, you know what, you're probably going to be really busy and you're probably going to forget. I will set uh, alerts for different appointments. And also just when everything is written down in the planner and I can see the different things that are going on per week, I really try to make sure that I have at least one day of rest. And so like there was one point where I was literally working six, seven days a week. And especially when I first started Personal Touch. And now it's at a point where I'm like, I'm not going to continue to do that. I put in the time. I put in the hard, you know, blood, sweat and tears. I don't have to do that anymore, especially now that with my son, like take time for yourself, take time for family. And it really helps that I could see like a week at a glance or a month at a glance. And then I can also look at several months at a glance and say, when was the last time I went on a trip? And then, you know, schedule a small trip, if it's for two days, three days, and go see family out in California or to Florida or, you know, say, you know what, when am I going to plan an international trip? And so those are the different things that kind of really help me to keep that balance. And I love it so much that I'm actually coming out with a line of planners very soon. So stay tuned for that. Oh, my gosh. Holy cow. Talk about a serial entrepreneur all at the same time. That's great. 
And I bet that's also tricky being a veterinarian because people who have animal issues expect you to be available at crazy hours or, you know, I know my dog usually gets into something on Saturday evening or something like that. So I will say that my clients that I have met over the years, they were some of the main people that were telling me when I would say, oh, you know, it's seven or or 7.30 or 8. No, I, I can come by. And they were like, no, are you sure? Like, you need to be going home. And at this time I was pregnant. So I was like really putting in the time and they were like, you, you need to slow down and you need to start saying no to folks. And I said, I will, I will. But just right now I'm trying to do, you know, put in the groundwork. And they said, okay. So there are the people with, you know, with common sense and, and empathy and like that out there. So tell me, is there one thing that people might be surprised to find out about you? Hmm. There's several things. I'm trying to see which one. Probably, uh, I would say that I think a lot of people would not necessarily consider me athletic. And I actually went to college on a golf scholarship, on both an athletic and academic scholarship. And so I was very, very thankful and grateful for the opportunities that golf provided me. I'm a proud alum, I should say, of the First Tee program, which was still, I would say, still pretty new when I first joined it, when I was in middle school. And so through uh, the first T program and the different opportunities that the city of Houston had for junior golfers, I was able to not only learn the game of golf, but get clubs, get lessons, get so many different opportunities really at little to no cost, which continued to allow me to, to develop my skills, develop my level of competitiveness, I guess you can say, to the point where I was able to get a scholarship in it. And it was, it was great. I don't play nearly as much, but I still have my muscle memory. And when I go to places like Top Golf or some other stuff where I play in a charity tournament, I'm always pleasantly surprised that I can still hit the golf ball. You can still hit it pretty far. That's great. That's great. Oh, that's, that is interesting. That's very interesting. And a nice way to get to college with a scholarship like that. That's mm-hmm. awesome. The one thing I wondered was, you talked a bit about mentors throughout your career at various parts of your life, telling you some things that helped you make a decision. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that in your life, as well as many advice you might have for students, vet school students, or anybody starting a business related to mentoring and how that's been so important to you? Um, yeah, I think that mentors are very good at helping you with your professional and career development. I think that it's also okay to have more than one mentor. Mentors help to address certain areas of your life. So for instance, you may have a mentor that is very good with the exact career that you're in, right? So for me, I had when I was going through a lot of crazy stuff, because my work environment was really bad for my mental health, if I'm going to be frank, I had another veterinarian mentor who I was able to talk to that understood what that type of environment would look like, would feel like, because they had experienced it as well. Because there are a lot of different nuances when it comes to different professions that you have to keep in mind, right? But I also had a mentor who kind of put things into perspective for me when it came to how impactful a veterinarian can be to the community because he was out in a rural environment. I had a mentor who helped me when it came to 
my desires of growing myself in the world of academia, not necessarily being a professor at a university, but how can I be an advocate for STEM without being at a university? Someone who can be a mentor like financially, someone who knew about financial planning, who was a business owner or is a business owner himself. So he understands entrepreneurship. He understands what's the best way to make your money work for you. Like those are all different things and all different concepts of mentorship that I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about. They, a lot of times I find that students reach out for mentors if they are now in the process of applying for a particular program or they want to be a doctor. So they're reaching out to someone who is a doctor and that's fine, but there are other parts of your life. You know, you're not just a veterinarian. You're not just a physician. You are a woman. You are a mother. You are, you know, sometimes the fact that you're a Black woman, you know, will create or bring so many different, very specific experiences as well. Mentorships that can really address different areas and aspects of your lives. They never have to even know each other. But I think that that really helps you and kind of also helps you look at yourself from a big picture. One more thing that students don't necessarily think about are advocates. And so advocates, I think mentors are people who you are in contact with for long periods of time, maybe not weekly or monthly. Maybe, you know, maybe you send them a text every now and then, or whenever you come across uh, an issue, you reach out or they check in on you. But advocates are people that you may never really have those types of conversations with, but they go to bat for you behind closed doors and you may never even know. And I think that those are the types of things that, quite frankly, a lot of students, especially if they are from backgrounds where they don't have the quote unquote right type of resources or right type of network and things like that, those are where you're at a disadvantage. When it comes to job placement, when it comes to promotions, when it comes to whether or not you're being bad mouthed, those are what happens behind closed doors. And a lot of times it's with your superiors and you will never know that those conversations are taking place. I have had a couple of advocates that have spoken up for me in those moments when you know it could have easily gone left. And people are definitely important and they may only do it once in your whole career, but it'll be a pivotal moment. It's a little tricky to figure out who could be an advocate for you, but you know, it's one of those things of continue to operate with integrity, continue to operate in excellence um, and your work speak for itself. You know, remember that somebody, whether it's the CEO or the custodian of the company, they're still humans and treat them with respect and things like that. And those are the type of things where your reputation will sometimes enter the, the room before you. And that's what the advocate relies on in order to step up at the plate for you. I wonder if you could tell us how people can find out more about all your various adventures. Is your personal website the place to go or where would they go to find out more? I would say, yeah, my personal website. So azizaglass.com, A-Z-I-Z-A-G-L-A-S-S. My social media is very easy. It is at azizaglass. Um, my YouTube is the same. It may say Dr. Aziza Glass. Same for my Facebook page, all of that. And uh, so follow, subscribe. You're going to see me do a lot of different things. 
I typically don't even make announcements for stuff until like after, after it's been well in the works and like it's actually premiering. So yeah, so you just got to stay tuned, but there's always something. So whether or not you want to keep up with new episodes of Rum to the Rescue, actually they're, the new episodes are going to start to premiere on, on June 15th. And so that's going to be on YouTube TV, Hulu, Disney XD, and Disney Now. And the, for the planners that are coming out, the journals, we're going to have a line of journals and planners and vision books. I'm very, very, very big on vision books. I'm not a vision board person, but I just love a, a good vision book. And then with my uh, natural hair products, all of that, you'd be able to see and keep up with all of that on all the different platforms that I have. We covered so much, but I would say for a student that is out there who is a little hesitant or who does not believe in their, or is very unsure of their idea, uh, I would say, you know, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to take a leap of faith. And Sometimes you have to create your own opportunities. Sometimes you have to invest in yourself. And even if your idea you feel like is repetitive, just make sure that you go in the grocery store and walk down the water aisle. <laughs> you see there's a whole different types of bottled water and it's the same thing. You know, so really just, just give yourself a chance put your best foot forward, do the best that you can and give someone else the opportunity to, to tell you no. Don't tell yourself no. Don't tell yourself no. That's a good way to go out. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this. It's been great to hear your story and talk to you. Thank you for having me. So to find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. And please rate and review our podcast by scrolling to the bottom of the episode and sharing your thoughts. A special thank you to Abigail Younger, my editor extraordinaire, and to Bert Odom-Reed, the Cornell Broadcast Studios.